you take up our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as those who are visiting with us, we've been working our way through some, at least at first glance, unfamiliar or untraditional Christmas stories, the ability to be able to speak not only to that which we pause to remember at Advent, today joy, but recognizing the fullness of that joy we receive in the gift of Jesus. So let's hear these words from Hebrews 12. Again, as good Bible scholars, we recognize what comes before in Hebrews 11, that faith chapter, that wonder of all of those stories of those who have gone before us, and now comes that therefore in chapter 12, verse 1, that hinge to that which has come before. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask his blessing on it in prayer. Lord, We come before you in the busyness and in the excitement and the celebration of the season, Father, needing to understand more fully the joy we sing about. And so, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirit be pleasing to you. Father, would you meet us where we are seated? May you not leave us there, but Father, would you lead us out in the joy of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as I get older, I have to confess a bit that I struggle or at least find it more and more difficult to experience joy in the Christmas season. And I don't think it's because I'm becoming a little bit more Scrooge or Grinch about it, but it's because what I know about that joy or what I know about Jesus doesn't always translate to that which I feel or experience. And it isn't that I don't love a lot of what goes on at Christmas. I, I love to sing, as many of you know. I love to bake as well. I, I love to hear those lyrics, joy to the world, how great our joy. When I listen to the children sing, I can't help but smile about it. There's something wonderful about it and, and certainly joyful. I know the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I know I have every reason to rejoice and to not be afraid, given the birth of Jesus. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I even know that the struggles and trials of my life, those things that I walk through with you in your life, that those things too are to serve unto rejoicing. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Or 1 Peter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice in joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so it's these kinds of words that I know I need to return to again and again at Christmas. And I would imagine there are a few of you that need to do the same. And a reminder that these are not realities just to be known. And even for that matter, not just to be believed. But they need to be rejoiced in. To remember that I personally have been given that good news of great joy in the person and work of my Savior. And so that joy then is fuller than just a a happiness or glee or a smile. It's an understanding of what one endured for us, for the joy set before him. And so in the gift of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we receive and are receiving the fullness of joy. That's the theme of these verses this morning. And it's a joy of three things that I want you to hold on to, not only now, but always. A joy of surrounded remembrance in verse 1, a joy of directed endurance in verse 2, and a joy of encouraged perseverance in verse 3. But it starts with that surrounded remembrance. And that, those are the things where we remember Christmases long, long ago. Well, for the Christian, I'm not just remembering those times. I'm remembering an understanding of what's been done. Of every remembrance of what is mine in Jesus Christ. And yet we need those remembrances no matter our age because we're forgetful. We forget what God has done for us. We forget the goodness and mercy of our God. We forget what he's promised to, we, promised us. We, we forget what we're called to in the light of what we've received. We even forget what lies ahead and is still to come. So part of the blessing of the joy and the gift of Jesus that is not ours only, but one shared, is that the Lord gathers a people for that purpose. That throughout the scriptures where we see the forgetfulness of Israel, we see them continually gathered out and called out and called together to worship, to gather near to hear the word of the Lord, to be moved forward in the joy of a provided salvation. And so we're not only surrounded by the grace and love of God, And not only with remembrances of those who've lived this Christian life, persevering in faithfulness even to the end by grace, we're surrounded here with that same testimony. Look look at the good news we've received. Look at what is being worked in us. Look at the joy that is found in Christ. That's our space together. And so there's a joy to be known and experienced in being surrounded by that testimony. Verse 1, therefore, all those who've come before and all of those who are suffering now and all of those who are straining and moving towards that same thing are an encouragement of a fuller joy than one just linked to a season. We can see those who experience joy in God's promises. We can look around us in the church and see those who are living that joy out faithfully. And so we're surrounded. There's nowhere we can look at those who are in Christ and not see something to be rejoiced in. Not to see something that we are to be joyful over. 
And so as those surrounded by joy, we ought not to be surprised by it, but to remember it as we live each day with the Lord, as those who desire to have His promises in full, and those who hold to the guarantee of them by His Word and Spirit. But then comes that great question, how? Because I want to have that, but I know my own experience. I know my struggle to fight for joy. I know the grief that is in my heart. I know my life experience right now, and it doesn't seem very joyful. Well, here in verse 1, you're given those two ways. Therefore, because of all of that, the testimony you're given, those you're surrounded with, the love and grace and wonder that is always there, that remembrance of joy will be typified by two things. The first is this, let us lay aside every weight. Sometimes that lack of joy is because I'm holding on to things that I ought not to hold on to. Burdens that I refuse to lay at the cross. Or in a counterway, we experience little joy because we hold on to and carry and give ourselves to so many things that don't matter or get in the way of joy. I mean, the number of people who are like, man, if I eat one more cookie or drink one more cup of eggnog, I'm going to explode. I don't want to see people anymore. I don't want to be around... We're so focused on all of the other stuff. We're so full, literally, of all of the other stuff. What are we doing? We even give ourselves to right and true and good things, but because we're giving ourselves to them, apart from giving ourselves fully to the pursuit of Jesus, they get in the way of joy. So it would be easy for me just to say, cast them off. And you're like, well but we have work things to do and we have family things to do and I'm not going to tell my family to get lost at Christmas just because things are busy and I'm struggling for joy. No. But you're to put off every hindrance to finding joy in Jesus. Every encumbrance, anything weighing you down. And you're not always going to feel like it, but that's that call. Kids, think about that in terms of playing any of the sports that you love. We train and we condition ourselves so that we're not carrying any weight. Having lost a little bit, life is a lot easier now. That you look and say, I can look back and pick up things that weigh that much now. And you're like, that was my existence. Now, I'm not fast by any means, nor am I training for anything, but there's a little bit more joy to be found. What about in our life? What burden are you carrying that isn't allowing you to be quick and fast to the victory? What's getting in the way of your pursuit of Jesus and joy found only in Him? And if you need help with that, look around you. There are examples of those who are running that same race, who are training in that same way, who find encouragement in that same Savior, surrounded by examples of those who have cast off those things in the pursuit of something better. But that second thing then, yeah, get rid of those things that are getting in the way of the running. But then you're going to have to deal with yourself. Those are external things. Yes, they're manifestations of our heart, but we have to get to a deeper root. Because the remembrance of joy, of being able to experience that fully, is being reminded to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. And that's the real rub. 
Because in that great cloud of witnesses, and when we read Hebrews 11, we're like, well, look at the faith that that guy had, and look at that woman, and here's this list, and just as broken as you and I. The stories of unfaithfulness of the people in that list. But they persevered. They endured. They held on to that joy. They dealt with the sin. They came in repentance and faith. And so that great cloud of witnesses serves as a reminder, yes, of what we're to give ourselves to, but, but also cautionary tales of that which could rob us of our joy. And so if you're struggling for joy in this season, I would implore you to struggle against your sin. That's the harder act in this season. Struggle against your sin. And yes, while we won't shake it completely in this life, we can remember that in the struggle there is victory to be found in Jesus Christ alone. So lay aside every sin. Whatever sin that is, sin that may seem to others acceptable and small, it's not. Cast it aside. If it's something that you've been suffering with for years after year after year after year, Lay it at the cross. Quit picking it back up. Find victory there. Whatever the sin, know that it cannot bring you joy. But knowing that if God is calling you to lay aside something, He has promised you far better, far richer, far more lovely. Because nothing you will lay aside can be compared to Christ in the knowledge that in so doing you will have joy. As one and surrounded in that remembrance, having rid yourself of that which gets in the way, you're going to be free to run with thanks for that joy. And so let us. That's the transition here. Therefore, because of that, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Because what we run is a sprint, not a race. You could ask Case about that this morning. It's not a race. It's a long time. As long as the Lord gives to us. And there are going to be stretches where we run strong and we feel like we're winning the day. And other times where we're laboring, struggling. Even if you watch commentary on races, mm, he, she's really suffering. It's the truth of our existence. But in joy, cheered on by that cloud of witnesses, we can run in the desire to have what is promised. That by casting away every weight and every sin, we're ready to do that. Even as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. So why are we going to exercise self-control in the power of God's word and spirit bound up in Christ? Because ours is an imperishable one. That's the witness of the saints we need to be brought back to. I'm going to find joy in those eternal things. That which I've been promised in Jesus in fullness of joy, even as I experience now that joy and will forever. But if you try to do that by yourself, and if you try to do that in yourself this morning, you're going to be crushed. That suffering will be worse. And ultimately, if left to yourself, you will not finish. So we need to be moved then to a directed endurance and that in the second place. Because I think that's the thing where when I watch people who enjoy running, 
not one of those people, I look at that and say, you, you just you just keep running and at the end you just talk about a personal best. Like there, there's no prize. There's nothing. Health and endorphins and all of whatever. There's no prize. We run for a prize. There's something at the end of all this. There's a reward. We run for one knowing that he is running with us, knowing that he has run for us. But it's hard sometimes to fix our eyes on that prize. Maybe because the benefits are okay enough already and do I really need anything more? Or because we wonder if there's any blessing at all. We struggle for joy at Christmas because we fill our thoughts and vision with things that ultimately cannot give or work joy. We look to the wrong things to give us motivation and purpose. It's that struggle, that sin of idolatry that clings so close. And so when we start looking at other things, that's when we stop running. It's when we start questioning the one who has called us to that race. And we start sinking in discouragement and doubt. And so surrounded remembrance should lead us again. Hey, don't look over here. Look there. Look where you're going. Look what lies ahead. Look at the point of all of this. Look at where your running should be directed. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. That's it. He's the one. Fixing our eyes upon Him because that's where we're going. He's the one we're running to. He's that prize. And it's important to look. You see, kids, when you ride your bike, and sometimes some of the maybe campgrounds that we drive at, the roads are a little bit sketch, and so there are potholes that could eat humans. Like, and so you, you see that hole, right? And so you're riding your bike, and you look at the hole, and what do you do? You turn right into the hole. What we focus on is where we go. And so if I'm not focused on Christ, I'm going to go everywhere else. I'm going to fall into everything else. I need to keep my eyes fixed on the road. I need to keep my eyes fixed on the prize, on the finish line. Is that where you're looking right now? Or at all of those other things that can't bring you joy and that don't matter and that lead you away from it? Is your gaze focused on the things of this world, your troubles, or even your sin? Or are they focused on Christ, who is the only way and path to freedom and joy? Again, hear it clearly. There's no joy in fixing your eyes on the things of this life. If you're waiting to find something under the tree on Christmas that's going to do that for you, it's not. If you're looking to your family to provide that for you this Christmas, they won't. That joy is found in only one person, and his name is Jesus. And so when you stop looking at those things and start filling your gaze with Jesus, you run differently. You run toward the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the pioneer. He walked it first. The one who has made a way and leads us in the way. The one who gives you that faith and fixes that faith and completes that faith perfectly. His life, his race was given to pursuing what the Father willed for him, a pursuit of full joy for which there was no room for anything else. 
That's why he came. That's what he walked. That's what he ran. That you might have joy and have it in full. That's who we direct our eyes to. And yet, what is that way? Because we're fine up to looking to Jesus. We love author and perfecter of our faith. But then we hear the description of his way of joy. And we're like, I don't love that race. Who for the joy that was set before him. What was that race? Enduring the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's my joy. That's my direction. That's what I'm getting to. But this is what it means first. Suffering first. Endurance first. For the joy that was to be the reward of it. We want the reward. We don't want the suffering. We want the reward. We don't want someone else to have paid for us. We want the reward, but we don't want what is required. But that's why he came. Joy is the reward, even as he is our our exceedingly great reward. But that is a joy that if it was for him found in enduring, that's found for us in the same. And again, me too, that's the problem. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to struggle. I don't want to endure. Joy should be easy. Joy should be fun. It's a problem we have in fixing our eyes on him and living for joy. I don't want to endure, be patient, wait, or struggle. But consider those who run races. And I do love seeing a good race. And again, from the side, not in it. But you watch runners who run and who finish well, but you know what they went through at various points in the race. And you saw how they labored, and you saw how they had to keep themselves going. And there's that rush for me in even seeing that finish Because you know here is the reward. I did it. I finished the race. And yet as I'm watching, I've had a very, very, very small introduction into that, right? I mean, even a long distance race, I mean, even if you watch a marathon, two to four hours worth of time, doesn't begin to talk about the days and years of training and the hours of preparation and all of the sacrifices, and all of the hurts, and all of the pains in order to produce in that way then. And yet that good runner will do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to win the race. This, Christians, is why we struggle for joy. We know what comes at the end, and I want that. I don't want to endure for that. But that's what directed endurance is about. And there's joy in it 
Because Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I'm here at the right hand of the throne of the Father, figure it out. I'll watch from here. No, he, he lived it. He suffered throughout his whole life, but especially at the end. He endured all the ridicule, all the taunting, the slander, the punishment, the fierce hatred and the opposition. He despised the shame. He was willing even to be forsaken of the Father. That he would take up ours and defeat all of it because it was nothing compared to the joy of his Father and the joy of heaven. A joy that he says, I want to secure for you. For all of those the Father has chosen and are precious to him. That's directed endurance that serves for us as our example. Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, and there's that link, all of that, all of it, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His direction was always pointed at a return to the Father. And in Christ, that's our direction. That's where we're going. So that in Christ, our directed endurance would be headed to the same place. So Christian, where is your focus? Let's go one back further. Unbeliever, where is your focus? Everything you're trying to find joy in right now, you won't. We're called to Jesus. It is the only place we can find joy in the forgiveness of our sins and knowing what he endured for us and our salvation. So then, Christian, what are you focusing on that's robbing you of this kind of joy and keeping you from it? What's discouraging you right now that you've stopped enduring for the sake of his joy? Focus on him and his promise. As you endure each day in the promise of joy now and forever, which Paul gets to in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what's ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And that will become the pursuit then of an encouraged perseverance and that in the last place because we need that kind of encouragement. I mean, you can't train that way and strain that way and work and effort that way without someone saying, hey, good job. Keep it up. You're doing great. We struggle for joy because we're not taking in the encouragement of others. We isolate ourselves. We struggle for joy because we're not taking in the encouragement of a Savior who's not only shown us the way, but walked that way and overcome that way and secured the victory in that way for us. You see, sometimes we get discouraged in our own running because, man, if this is how I run, I'm never going to have the prize. And Jesus says, I already won it for you. 
That isn't the point of your running anymore. You're just running to receive it. It's glorious. So if you're struggling for joy in this season of the year, consider the victory of the one who emptied himself and was righteous in every way for you for faithfulness and truth. Give yourself to the wonder given for you to know his salvation for which you have been secured unto. Verse 3, consider him who endured such or from sinners such hostility against himself just for the joy set before him just for the Father set before him, just for the you set before him. For the joy he endured, but his day by day was not enjoyable. It was no picnic. We forget it. He was bombarded by the fiercest temptations that could have been known, faced with what was considered the greatest source of discouragement, namely people like us. He endured persevering in his work, not cheered on and encouraged by those he came to save. In fact, what does it say in Isaiah 53? He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He endured even for them. He endured even for us. That while we were still sinners, he endured and died for us. For the joy set before him. Enduring for the Father's glory and our salvation. Persevering in every way. So we have to ask ourselves then, why would my joy be found in any different way? So for the joy set before us, will we endure the attacks and mockery of the world, the pains of this life, the struggles that will come? Will we keep on keeping on knowing the encouragement that Jesus did it first, did it best, and calls us to the same? It says in Hebrews 2, verses 9 and 10, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing sons, many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Again, we want the joy, we want the crown, we want the glory, but we don't want to persevere for it. We don't want to suffer for it. And I tell you, you can't have one without the other. And if you're experiencing the heart of enduring sorrow right now, these things right now, all I can say to you is let them serve for your joy. For he has found you worthy of it by grace. Endure knowing this encouragement focused on Christ as your only joy so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And maybe that's more the feeling you have right now. Lord, I'm weary. I'm weary of this. Weary of this life. Weary of this sorrow. In the light of everything you've been given in Christ, you have every motivation to continue and to persevere knowing that he's preserving you 
by way of his love and intercession. He's going to carry you through. It's the confidence of the psalmist in Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even as Christ prepared for his death, it's the message of perseverance he spoke to the disciples in John 16. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. But don't throw it away. Don't throw away your joy and confidence in Jesus. It says in Hebrews 10, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. That's the kind of joy we celebrate at Christmas. That's the kind of enduring joy, encouraged, persevering joy that you have been provided in a Savior, knowing that as you run and strain and struggle toward Him, hear it, you will have what is promised. It's not a doubt. You will have it. So that Paul can say at the close in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because God, what you have done in me and what you have granted to me, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. That's the gift we receive in fullness of joy. And so in his incarnation, consider the one who is promised. Because he is faithful to walking this same road. And to walking the Calvary road for all who long for his appearing. Long for his appearing. May this be the day of your salvation. And as we wait for his second coming, let's fix our eyes on that joy. To the one who has gone before us, eyes filled up with Jesus and his love, encouraged for all he's done for us and all he's given us in himself, to the glory of his name, that Jesus Christ would be our joy and our glory ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for that joy, for the promise of that joy and how great our joy is, Father, when we give ourselves to that and endure in that and persevere in that, knowing that you are preserving us and keeping us and carrying us through. And so, Father, help our unbelief increase our faith. Father, call us to the Savior now. 
Lord, that if we are filling ourselves with everything else that doesn't matter and doesn't last and doesn't give us joy, Father, fill us with all joy and peace in believing. And Father, gather your people then in the joy of that which is ours in Christ that is guaranteed and sure to be in the new heavens and new earth. Father, would you hear us? Would you be near to us? Would you bless us in that vision, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.